cap on Russian crude oil had the desired results? Or is India still the villain of the piece in making the sanctions unsuccessful on the Russian crude oil? In December 2022, the European Union, G7 countries, and Australia introduced a price cap of $1.60 a barrel on Russian oil. What has been the results? Has Russia been unable to sell its oil in the market? Has the consumer become a king? Here is the detailed conversation I had with Bob McNally, founder and president of Rapid and Energy Group who is also a former White House energy policy advisor. Uh, hi, Bob. Welcome to our podcast. And hi, Risha. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. And you know, what we are talking is a very dynamic subject, which, which is attracting attention all over. So I'll get straight to the point. And my first question to you is that recent past, uh, one has been seeing that uh, there's a certain kind of soft softening of position towards India uh, as far as you know Russian oil is concerned. Yeah, uh, is our interpretation right? Has the West actually softened its position towards India? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, from my perspective, as I watched the uh, West's response to the Russian invasion and specifically the G7 price cap uh, since last year in Washington, I don't think I would say there was a softening toward India. I think, at least from the Biden administration standpoint, they were always soft towards India. Let's just step back and remember that when Russia invaded Ukraine and the IEA and other experts thought as a result, we would lose some 3 million barrels a day of Russian exports. Oil prices soared. Uh, we had gasoline in the United States at, the, at record levels. And this terrified uh, the Biden administration, G7 leaders. So they put in place a price cap. And the main goal of the price cap was to prevent EU sanctions from driving that Russian oil off the market. And as folks in Washington began to think about how the price cap would work, it would India was a big part of it. Uh, as far as I could tell, uh, Washington wanted India, which imported very little Russian oil before the invasion, to start importing a lot of Russian oil and to do so at a discount uh, and to uh, benefit economically from it. So from Washington's perspective, India was a very important part of a successful implementation of the price cap. And by success, I mean continue Russian oil exports because the United States was stopping, more importantly, Europe was gonna stop importing. So in order for those Russian barrels to still flow to global markets and keep the global price of crude oil low and therefore the domestic price of gasoline low, India became a key uh, uh, let's call it buyer of that Russian oil. So uh, in my view, uh, India was always seen as a uh, important part of a successful implementation of the price cap. So I have a connected question here that uh, did the cap uh, see its desired results? Because if, if I uh, recollect right, that uh, there was uh, supposed to be a revision on the cap, which has not happened. 
I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't quite hear uh, I, I what I wanted to understand was that did the cap actually have uh, see its desired results? And if I recollect right, when this decision of a cap was taken, it was also thought over that uh, it will be reviewed and the revision of the cap will also happen. But that hasn't really happened. Yeah. So a uh, couple things there. You're right. When they implemented the G7 cap, they called for regular uh, reviews of both the crude oil and the product uh, caps. And uh, those either have not happened or they were in the beginning very cursory. Um, I think that's because the cap was seen as being effective. Again, the cap had two publicly stated objectives. One, keep Russian oil flowing despite the sanctions and the, the uh, embargo being put in place in Europe on imports. And number two, force Putin to have to sell those barrels at a lower price than he would have gotten otherwise, so to hurt his revenue. Now, until recently, uh, the price of oil, including Russia's oil export, Urals, the main uh, export grade, was soft. It fell, right? It fell from December of last year until the summer to levels well below the price cap. So Washington, Brussels, other authorities thought, leave well enough alone. Uh, the price is lower. Uh, the discount that Russia was forced to pay uh, went wider. And so that was seen as successful. So I think the G7 authorities thought, look, this is working. Um, uh, Russia's oil is still flowing. Global oil prices are down. Domestic product prices are down. And uh, Russia's getting a lower price per barrel than it would have uh, otherwise. So leave well enough alone. I think that was the um, that was the thinking. Of course, some European countries that are tough towards Russia aren't happy. Uh, Poland, Lithuania, Estonia, they don't like that um, Russia is still able to export <clears throat> so much. So, but these are smaller countries. Uh, they don't have as big a say in the EU, and certainly not in the G7. Uh, they're not members, and so um, so really the the big countries decided to sort of kind of leave well enough alone. Now, we see even today uh, reports in the press and NGOs noting that Russia is still able to export and use G7 ships and insurance companies, despite oil prices now having risen well above the capped level. So this is completely different. Now, we are in a stress test of the policy because for the first time, since the caps were put in place, the price of oil is above the caps. And there are estimates that still a quarter, about 25% of Russian seaborne crude oil is using Western insurance. So insurance companies that should be complying with the caps. And there is a report from an NGO out today, uh, reported on in Bloomberg, uh, that um, some... Uh, one third of uh, ships that are moving Russian oil and products are owned by EU countries. So now comes the real stress test, Richa. So that's, uh, that leads me to my next question that, you know, uh, there was restrictions, but 
you were buying uh, uh, by, uh, by you I meant the West was buying uh, the imported oil products from the refineries. We were processing Russian oil also. Now it's very difficult to make out once the oil is processed from which country it has come. End product you can't differentiate whether it's a Saudi oil or a Russian oil or and of course, uh, India was made as a villain of peace by certain reports. One of the reports which you have just mentioned, which has come out today also, they also pointed fingers that, you know, uh, India, uh, it is flooding the market with Russian oil end product, basically, and it's making a backdoor entry. So uh, in this scenario, when the situations are changing, people need oil demand, petroleum product demand is there. So given this uh, scenario, do we uh, assess that this cap and this whole thing had had the desired impact on Russia, what the intent was? Because Russia continues to sell oil. It is playing with the OPEC plus uh, and, you know, the prices. We know where it is going, who are the players. Although no one says it, but everyone knows how the market dynamic is working. So... Has it had an impact on Russia? Well, um, so it has had an impact on Russia, but perhaps not the impact that those of us very concerned about Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine would want to see. Again, the main goal was to ensure the flow of Russian crude oil but also that means the supply of refined products. And here again, as you mentioned, India's role is seen as important, very important to the successful implementation of this, right? Not only was India expected to and has become the biggest buyer of Russian crude oil, but as you mentioned, Russia, uh, India is a large exporter of refined products. And if you look at the data now and you look at where inventories are, especially of heating oil and distillate fuel, also called gas oil, in the United States, in Asia, in Europe, it's low. And this is going into winter when use of oil peaks and is not gasoline, it's heating oil and diesel. Diesel being very important for the economy in India, the United States and everywhere. So India's role as not only a crude oil importer and a customer of Russia, but an exporter, even if it's probably Russian crude oil, as you mentioned, hard to know, oil is fungible, hard to know if a, a barrel of diesel exported by India to Rotterdam came from Russian oil or not. Uh, it could be Iraqi, uh, it could be Saudi, we don't know. So um, so in that way, it's it's working, you know, the, the price cap is working. I think it's what's difficult for people to understand as many people thought that the main reason of the price cap, the main reason was to deprive Russia of revenue hurt its economy, and impose a cost for invading Ukraine. And that wasn't the main reason. It was one of the reasons. And Russia's economy is hurting. I mean, let's not, uh, Russia is hurting. Uh, all of the sanctions are hurting Russia, including the price cap. So I don't want to say it hasn't had an effect. It has. But has it stopped the illegal invasion? Absolutely not. Um, is it uh, dissuading Putin? No. Uh, but um, in terms of, we just have to be honest about the hard truth, in terms of guaranteeing Russian oil would flow and that its refined products from India would continue to flow, and China for that matter does the same thing, imports Russian crude, exports distillate, 
like in gasoline, like India, there it has it has succeeded. Um, and here, a final thing, though, and I think this point is valid. Some folks say, look, if we didn't ensure the Russian oil kept flowing, and oil prices went back to $140 a barrel or $150 a barrel. And India went into deep recession and Europe went into deep recession and the United States went into deep recession. Consumers and voters around the world would end support for Ukraine. They would say, look, I don't like Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but I don't want to pay in terms of losing my job and not having money to buy bread and the price of energy. So the G7 assumed, and I think this is a valid point, that not only is it important to keep oil prices low for our domestic economic health, but to maintain public support for Ukraine in helping it fend off uh, this vicious Russian invasion. That's a very interesting point. You've led me to my uh, last two questions. And that being, is consumer the king? Are we seeing a shift in uh, global dynamics uh, as far as this sector is concerned. Because I remember a time when India would go for an OPEC meeting also and no one cared. But today, India has a voice. I mean, I'm purely coming from the India side and it's a big consuming nation. So uh, are we uh, seeing a shift? And do consumers like India uh, help in bringing a stability in the market? Right. So... Uh... I would say, yes, importers and big growing consumers, uh, India, we have to say even China, are taking on an outsized role in uh, the global oil market. And by playing the role of that opportunistic buyer of Russian oil and those low prices that India has obtained has helped its economy maintain its extraordinarily fast growth rate. Really. India is, uh, I think, one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest, last year in terms of oil demand. And while monsoons come and things happen uh, seasonally, your overall GDP rate, uh, your demand is just amazing to see and really a standout among countries uh, since really COVID and the invasion. And a lot of that is due to your ability to leverage these, um, these, these dynamics in the global oil market, where suddenly this Russian oil is available, it's cheap, you can export the refined products, which helps your GDP. The G7 wants you to do that. Everyone's happy to do that. Um, the OPEC plus Gulf producers, they don't mind for the time being. They, they're not upset about the loss of market share. So in a way, India is playing an integral support, really, in the stability we've seen uh, since the summer, after things sort of settled down, after things the oil market sort of exploded on the first um, on the first, um, uh, the first days and weeks of the invasion. So yes, India is playing you know, a very important role in stabilizing the global oil market, I would say. That's very interesting. But, you know, since we're talking oil and uh, no one wants to bet on oil price, but just my, for my, uh, the inquisitive reporter in me wants to know how, where, where is oil prices headed? Where uh, the, the big question, <laughs> the big question. Well, you know what? Um, you've written a book on India and energy, and I can't wait to read it. Um, I wrote a book about the history and future of oil price volatility. And in my view, uh, oil prices have entered uh, what I call the foothills, the beginning phases of a multi-year boom phase. And that started in 
of the late sort of the fall of 2021. And that was the end of a multi-year bust phase that began in late 2014. So from 2014 until late 2021, the dynamic was oversupply. Lots of shale oil production growth in the United States. Um, at times, uh, high production from Saudi Arabia and Russia and UAE and other countries. Inventories built, um, prices were low. But that all sort of shift uh, about, about uh, uh, a year and a half ago. And really, Risha, I think the oil market is going to go through phases of booms and bust cycles. And those cycles um, are self-reinforcing. So during the bust phase, we had low oil prices. What did we see? A collapse in upstream investment, shutting down of refineries. But consumers buying more, uh, more thirsty cars. We saw a a flattening in the rate of efficiency gains in transportation. Yes, EVs have been growing from a small base, but overall, most of the cars on the road are gasoline and, and consumers in response to low prices. So now those dynamics are beginning to assert themselves as we exit COVID, as we exit uh, the demand shocks and so forth, and the economy starts to grow. We're seeing growth in demand for oil. We're seeing inadequate supply. OPEC plus has more pricing power, prices are rising. And I think this, um, this multi-year boom cycle will continue this decade. Prices will end up going well above $100 a barrel. The next big surprise in markets will be that global demand is not going to peak by the end of the decade as the IEA has been wishfully thinking. And so uh, I think we're headed towards a boom. Now, the only thing that in history, and I think currently can delay the boom is a recession. And uh, recessions or weak demand, um, that's a big risk now with the central banks around the world raising rates, with inflation at 40 year highs, uh, with China having all kinds of domestic economic and financial problems. So I don't wanna minimize the risk of a recession. If we have a recession, oil could go to 40 or $30 next year. Um, but if we don't have a recession, buckle up because oil prices are heading much higher. Thank you so much for sparing this time, Bob. I'm sorry we pushed you quite early hours for you, but it's going to be 7 p.m. here now in India. So hope to see you sometime and uh, waiting for your book. Thank you very much, Risha. Thank you for accommodating me by staying up late your time. And I hope one day to be able to meet you uh, in India or somewhere else one of these days. So Definitely. thanks so much for having Thank me. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.